Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hurts, and today we'll be breaking down all 15 Week 5 matchups. That's right, 15. We got the Packers and the Detroit Lions on a bye week, but I want to focus on providing you all with some actual fantasy football takeaways. I hope everyone had a great time watching some football over that Week 4. Nice little double double header on Monday night, but you know we are on to Week 5 and focusing on making improvements and hopefully making some money and getting some wins in the oncoming weeks. So joining me today is PFF analyst and regular contributor to this very podcast. Andrew Erickson. Andrew, how's it going, man? Ian, I'm doing pretty good. You know, the Patriots suffered a big loss yesterday. I wasn't pleased with the quarterback play. My guy Edelman definitely uh, dropped the ball, if that's the best way to put it. But uh, it's a new week, and I'm, I'm ready for it. New week. You got it, man. So as we go through the games, I'll list the matchups, spread, and game total. Andrew and I will each give a fantasy take. We'll move on to the next. Obviously, you know, we're recording this at 1.30 uh, p.m. ET on a Tuesday, so still plenty of time throughout the week to more fully form our opinions. But, you know, I thought this would be a good way, getting familiar with the week and learn some helpful fantasy nuggets as we go. So without further ado, starting off with the Thursday night matchup, we have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at the Chicago Bears. Uh, Buccaneers opened as minus three favorites. They are up to five and a half over understanding pretty steady at 44 and a half the big story here from Tampa Bay is just the amount of injuries that they had coming out of that Chargers game last week I mean just on the Monday injury report alone Mike Evans didn't practice due to a sprained ankle Leonard Fournette's still not practicing due to an ankle Chris Godwin's not practicing with a hamstring LaShawn McCoy's not practicing with an ankle Scotty Miller isn't practicing with a hip and groin injury Justin Watson has a chest injury he's not practicing OJ Howard's on IR with an Achilles issue and even Mr. Rob Gronkowski was, was limited with the shoulder so not all these guys are going to miss the game I mean Monday's on you know a, a third Thursday night game it's more or less just a glorified walkthrough so I wouldn't worry too much about this as long as some of these guys can get limited by the end of the week but you know like there was a brief stretch in that game last week where Mike Evans hurt his ankle he left the game and you know I, I had to tweet out the Spider-Man meme looking at the 2019 Patriots offense compared to 2020's Buccaneers offense when you don't have Evans and Goblin I mean look when you don't have your top two wide receivers any offense is going to look much worse so like this isn't you know an indictment on Brady or anyone it's not gonna be hard for anyone uh, to overcome that so you know Brady just do five touchdowns he looked great doing so i mean the deep balls look good all season but you know just make sure you keep an eye on his injury report because if uh, you know half these guys are not playing it's gonna be a very different target distribution and potentially very different production than we're used to andrew what you got in the bears so looking at the bears you got dave montgomery right so he's kind of like slotted into that rb2 spot you don't love him we don't love montgomery's upside really on a week-to-week basis he's getting all the carries and again you don't Love him in this spot. You know, the Buccaneers defense has been pretty good against running backs. They've allowed the second fewest rushing yards to running backs this season. But again, the thing that I looked at that was encouraging from his usage last week, you know, Tariq Cohen was out. So the question kind of going in was, all right, so do we see Cordero Patterson? I know he's your guy. Do we see him in an expanded role? Or do we see Montgomery more involved in the passing game? And even though his route or his uh, targets didn't really pop off the page, he had three targets, which was kind of what his norm was over the, you know, the past few weeks of the season. He took a massive jump in routes run. So he was under about 20 per game during the first three weeks. And that jumped up all the way to 35 in week four, which actually ranked second behind only Allen Robinson. So you kind of have this distribution of targets where it's Allen Robinson and you kind of have Anthony Miller slash Darnell Mooney kind of working in, but then Montgomery is there and you don't have to worry about, you know, a lot of times we're seeing this with mobile quarterbacks. They don't throw the ball to the running back position. Nick Foles is a statue. He's going to throw it to the running backs. He's not going to break off and try to scramble and get yardage. That's not his game. We got two statue quarterbacks in this game, which is rare to find on, on prime time. So I think that Dave Montgomery, the, the rushing match doesn't look great, but I think he's going to be able to get it done, which is enough volume and work in the passing game to be at, at worst an RB2 in this spot. 
Yeah, I said last week going into week four, I, you know, as much as I, you know, the self-pronounced president of the Cordero Patterson fan club, wanted to think that CP would see that role increase with Tariq Cohen out of the picture, didn't expect it to happen, it ended up not happening. So a uh, negative game script last week could very well be uh, more ahead. Moving on, we got the Cincinnati Bengals at the Baltimore Ravens. Ravens are 13 and a half point favorites over under a set at 51 and a half. So, you know, another running back that really had some nice week four usage was Mr. Joe Mixon. Uh, six receptions were the second highest mark of his career most since 2018 and Giovanni Bernard only 13 snaps that's the second fewest he's had in a single game over the last two years and okay you know the Bengals were able to get out with the lead ahead of the Jag- Jaguars but it wasn't like this was some you know three touchdown beatdown from the second quarter on or anything and Mixon did really help them build that lead and then maintain the lead and you know on, on the way to getting Joey Burrow's first uh, career win so the question is will it continue because this is a good game to find out you know if he's gonna keep that negative game script as nearly two touchdown uh, underdogs I think more than anything I mean, obviously, you're not taking Mixon uh, off the bench, but just realize that this guy truly is uh, functioning as one of the more talented uh, running backs in the league right now. I mean, only Dalvin Cook, Nick Chubb, Josh Jacobs, and Clyde Eversolaire have more yards after contact than Mixon. So, hellacious spot. I get it. But you know what? Antonio Gibson last week was able to put up some numbers against Baltimore, thanks in large part to his receiving usage. Same thing with Clyde Eversolaire the week before. Uh, you know, sneaky spot. You know, you look at, uh, I've been looking at the DraftKings pricing a little bit early this week, and in that kind of lower 6,000 range, you're seeing Mixon's price tag, you know, really taking a beating uh, because of this matchup. But look, people, if he's going to keep getting this sort of pass uh, pass down work in addition to the 15, 20 plus carries per game we already knew he had, this is everything we're looking for in a matchup proof RB1. Andrew, what you got with the Ravens? So this running back backfield, right? This is this is a puzzle that we're trying to figure out. And I, I got to first issue an apology and it's going to go to Gus Edwards. You called me out on Ian, <laughs> you know, last week in our, our Slack channel, basically, I had pulled a stat about yards per carry after or after contact. And I had excluded Gus Edwards because he didn't fit the criteria of, you know, 20 rushing attempts. So, you know, that's been updated and now he has over 20 rushing attempts and he leads the NFL in yards (laughs) after contact per attempt. So Gus Edwards is back in the, in the heart of me as an analyst. And he also ranks third in PFF rushing grade. So Gus Edwards is in, you know, it's weird to think of a guy like him in the smash spot, but with the Ravens, such heavy favorites at home. And even they talked about it on the broadcast, they, they talked about Gus Edwards. They said, he's the closer. He is the guy that they want in the eighth, ninth inning to come in and just run over teams in garbage time. And that's what this game projects to be. You know, it's a guessing game when we look at, okay, is it going to be a Dobbins game? Is it going to be Ingram? You know, Ingram got the touchdown last, uh, last week, but you know, Last week, the Edwards led the team in carries. He had nine carries. He led the team in snap percentage as well. So it's not a sexy name at all, but he's free. So he costs nothing. If you need a running back this week to play, you know, if a game goes projected like it should with the Ravens really heavy favorites, then Gus Edwards is going to eat in garbage time. And he's going to go from Gus the bus Edwards to Gus, you know, dump truck Edwards, you know, (laughs) clean it up in garbage time. Yeah, you know, I know everyone wants Dobbins to break out, but Gus Edwards, as you said, man, number one yards after contact per rush. The guy's playing well. Same thing in Indy, man, with, uh, you know, obviously we want Jonathan Taylor to get the touches, but Jordan Wilkins is number one in the league in the average uh, missed tackles forced per rush attempt. So, you know, these un- incumbent backups, don't sleep on them. As sexy as, you know, the new rookie might be coming out. Uh, moving on, we got the Panthers at the Falcons. Uh, Atlanta's are four and a half point favorites. The over-under open at 51, already up to 54, you know, as we've seen a lot 
lot of these overs spiking uh, throughout the early parts of the season. I want to talk about this Panthers passing game because I think both Robbie and DJ Moore are going to be okay. I mean, we're talking about, oh, is DJ Moore even number one wide receiver in his own offense? Guess what? Going into this year, DJ Moore was the number two option in this passing game, pretty much behind Christian McCaffrey. I mean, this is nothing new to see DJ splitting the you know p- upper portion of his team's target share with someone. It just so happens to be Robbie Anderson instead of Christian McCaffrey this year. So right now, DJ Moore is one of just 10 wide receivers with at least 400 air yards. Robbie is 20th. I mean, we're seeing DJ actually get more fantasy-friendly downfield shots than Robbie. Uh, you know, credit to Robbie for having more chemistry with Teddy at this point. He's doing a great job with his, with his uh, intermediate underneath opportunities. But, you know, this Panthers passing game, it looks better and better every week. We expected this. I mean, no team had less continuity entering this season in terms of, you know, coaching staff, O-line, quarterback. Then the Carolina Panthers, Teddy's starting to make some good plays. He's looking good out there. And then improving chemistry is going to come with DJ Moore. So I know I've been preaching, you know, buy low on DJ Moore, uh, you know, on this podcast last few weeks. I'm continuing to pound that drum. The guy's averaging a career high, 16 yards per reception, you know, more than solid nine yards per target. He hasn't been perfect, you know, a couple drops here and there. The biggest issue is just zero touchdowns. You know, what happens with touchdowns? You know, as, as mad as everyone was about Joe Mixon the first couple of weeks of the season, you know, when the volume is in a good place and the touchdowns just aren't there yet, at some point the touchdowns are going to come when the volume persists. So really think they're going to continue to keep DJ more involved. Maybe it's not quite as much of a number one versus number two situation as we hope for, but even with DJ, you know, potentially being number two options uh, in, in certain weeks, he's going to be fine, guys. Andrew, what you got in the ATL Falcons? Yeah, so the ATL Falcons bleed fantasy points to everything and everyone, especially the tight end position. So I think that if you need a tight end this week, Ian Thomas isn't a bad look. He's been playing a full complement of snaps. He runs a lot of routes. He got more targets last week. So, I mean, we got tight ends on bye weeks. You can't use Robert Tunn. You can't use Hawkinson. So I think that if you need a tight end, I think Ian Thomas is a potential option. Flipping to the Atlanta Falcons offense. So we got Todd Gurley and he scored two touchdowns on Monday night football. And I think that this is the the prime time to sell. I think that this is what you want to do with Todd Gurley. I think that you kind of want to move on. You know, he scored, he only got 57 rushing yards on 16 carries. Not great. 3.6 yards per attempt. His PFF rushing grain through the first four weeks of the season is ranks 32 out of 36 qualifying running backs with at least 30 carries. And you look at the schedule, the schedule looks good, but this is kind of how you can leverage that to move off of him. You know, we talked about Kenyon Drake heading into last week against the Carolina Panthers. Oh, he's in a smash spot. Oh, it didn't work because what happened with the, the, the Cardinals fell behind and they had to pick catch up and Kenyon Drake doesn't profile as the pass catching back. This is the exact same scenario here with Todd Gurley. He hasn't been catching any passes. It's been Brian Hill and Edo Smith working in. And again, he's been able to, you know, sustain fantasy relevance because he's been able to score touchdowns. This is what he's been doing all season and basically a lot of his career. But for me, it's like, yes, this is a juicy matchup, but this is when you you move off of him and, and you, you just get rid of Todd Gurley because you can do it because it's a good matchup. People are going to see that. They're going to see the green. And he's even got a couple of good matchups coming down the line. But the thing is, the matchups won't matter at all if the Falcons defense can't stop anyone and the Falcons are, ha- are forced to play from behind and they're, they're losing games. So that's the thing. I think that this is the perfect time to just to move off of him. And I think that in DFS, you know, he's going to have that green favorable matchup. I'm going to be totally hands off Gurley. 
Well said, sir. Yeah, just absolutely no pass game ceiling. That is not the type of situation we want to be buying. Uh, moving on, we got Bills at Titans. Still some uncertainty surrounding the game. It sounds like, you know, with uh, some of the news this morning about the Titans, you know, being on track now to reopen up their facility. Good uh, good news on all the COVID test results. Seems like this game will be happening as scheduled. So that's good news. But I want to talk about this Bills offense. You know, this is, uh, you know, always been, I consider myself, you know, vice president of the Josh Allen fan club, you know, with our, uh, you know, uh, number one guy, Evan Silva over there at ETR. But uh, you know, love, love everything about Josh Allen, but I want to talk about Devin Singletary for a second because these last two weeks, Zach Moss has been out with a toe injury, and Singletary has been playing a near every down role. I mean, legit flirting with that 90% snap rate that we just don't see elsewhere around the league. Overall, 31 uh, carries and 11 targets over these past two weeks, and the guy has been fantastic this year, man. Through four weeks, Singletary has 22 broken tackles. That is tied for first in the entire league with Josh Jacobs. Dalvin Cook's at 21. Alvin Kamara's at 19. So, and you know, you watch the film, and like this you know, whenever I'm watching film, I, I go through every single game, usually, you know, watch as much as I can live. Otherwise the game pass condensed. And, you know, I just write little notes and try to see, you know, when, when is the film going to line up with the metrics we have? Cause PFF, you know, we got PFF ultimate can track just about anything. And, you know, one of the guys that's really stuck out to me over these past few weeks was Singletary. Cause you know, when you see a guy seemingly making the first defender miss every play, you go back and look at the broken tackles and the metrics are meeting what we're seeing on film. So love when that happens, he's been playing great. And you know what, Josh Allen's going to continue to vulture a lot of these touchdowns near the five yard line but as long as Singletary kind of keeps being this effective and also getting his pass game usage on pace for 84 targets and 64 receptions he's going to be a top 20 running back more weeks than not and you know okay Zach Moss coming back maybe they're gonna go back to 60 40 but with as well as Singletary is playing right now, man, I think he deserves to have that, you know, potentially 70, 80% snap roll more weeks than not. Nothing against Moss. I mean, he didn't get to show too much of, of what he can do before he did get hurt. And I don't think they're going to bench him or anything like that. But, you know, if he comes back uh, slow at all, do not take Devin Singletary off the field because the man is balling out right now. Andrew, what do you got on the Titans? Yeah, the, the Titans are, you know, hopefully going to play in this game. And, and hopefully we get a game to look at. But the thing with them is I, I think that they are – their offense is kind of underrated going into this matchup. I think that the Bills defense, Bills defense is maybe a little overrated. You know, they, you look at the two matchups they have to start the year against the Jets, Dolphins. They looked really great. They look great, obviously, because because that's what that's what teams do. But the last two weeks against the Rams and Raiders, they've actually allowed the third highest average yards per play in the league, six point four, which is actually the same as the Dallas Cowboys. So we know the Dallas Cowboys defense is not good, and that's kind of how the Bills have been playing, at least you know, giving up yards. So they've been playing in high scoring environments. So I do like the Titans offensive pieces here, especially because the Titans defense isn't really, isn't really anything to you know go home about either second to last in average yards per play 6.4. So I like the Titans players. You know, I think the offensive players here, I think John Smith is in a really good spot. You know, bills have allowed the fifth most fancy points to the tight end over the past two weeks and AJ Brown, you know, he's expected to make his return. And I think that he should be in your starting lineup if he's healthy and good to go. We, we don't know what the status of Adam Humphrey is. He was placed on the actual COVID-19 reserve list. So it all depends on if he'll be available or not. We're not sure about that. But I think that, you know, in his absence, I think that A.J. Brown would, would see more looks. And just think, I mean, Corey Davis is just, he's not someone to write home about. They could easily just put Trey White on Corey Davis, move A.J. Brown a little bit more. So I think that A.J. Brown's active. I think you got to slide him in. 
be still my beating heart hearing that AJ Brown could be back on track to get that wide receiver one season. We were hyping up all off season, loving that guy is healthy. Uh, next game up, we got the Las Vegas Raiders at the Kansas city chiefs uh, chiefs opening up and, you know, maintain 11, 11.5 uh, point favorites over under at 56. So Josh Jacobs, I mean, look, he hasn't found the end zone the last few weeks, but you know, similar to Joe Mixon, it's okay. People, is it annoying that Jacobs who, you know, by all accounts appears to be more than capable of playing almost every single down just isn't getting a ton of pass work no it sucks I mean this we're looking at a legit you know top five fantasy back if he was getting uh you know five plus targets per game but unlike last year uh, it's at least not just Derrick Henry you know one or two targets we are seeing three or four targets and Jacobs has been in that 60 80 percent snap range every single week you might think that that's a given they draft the guy in the first round he's the engine of their offense why wouldn't he be playing that this was far from a guarantee last year he played fewer than 60 percent of the Raiders snaps in nine of 13 games last season so yeah we've seen a little bit more positive game script from the Raiders in general so far in 2020 but over these past two weeks they have been playing behind they've still gotten Jacobs as you know 15 plus carries he gets that no matter what and three four targets so the fact that you know these last few weeks have kind of been his floor outcomes uh really looking good moving forward and I know this matchup is going to scare some people off because you know okay Jalen Rashard Devontae Booker now they got Theo Riddick out there to take away this pass game work once once you know the Raiders inevitably fall behind to the Chiefs but you know as long as they're sticking to Jacobs getting these 15 plus carries no matter what as they've been doing uh he's got a lot of opportunity here chiefs are allowing a league worse 2.3 yards before contact per attempt you know talking this podcast a lot about i think we're more capable of identifying bad secondaries versus bad run defenses there's a lot of teams like the chiefs you know packers patriots where okay they, they you know quote unquote suck against running backs but it's more of a you know kind of team-wide defensive decision to more closely uh try to stop opposing passing attacks in the rushing defense this is 2020 after all you shouldn't be loading up the box so just realize that you know generally when you see the quote-unquote good run defenses those oftentimes coincide with some of the league's worst overall defenses so this is still a 56 point over under Derek Carr generally doing a good job moving the ball this season I mean not you know amazing we still kind of wish there was a higher ceiling there but you know Raiders are gonna move the ball I think they're gonna find the end zone a few times no reason why Jacobs won't be the recipient of that and he's probably gonna be you know pretty far under owned on DraftKings relative to some of the guys around him Andrew what you got with Mahomes and company Nicole Hardman finally, you know, looked like the number three receiver in front of Demarcus Robinson. It finally happened. He ran more routes. He played more offensive snaps than Robinson for the first time this season. And, you know, that's what we were worried about that. Okay. He's relegated to, you know, wide receiver four duties. And again, it wasn't like by um, a huge amount, you know, it was barely over, but it's still something that caught my attention, you know, looking at week four with his usage. And again, now he scored two touchdowns in the past two weeks. He has four receptions in the past two weeks or in both games in the last two weeks. So his usage is definitely on the uptick. And that's something that I think that's something that's really important to look at, especially the fact that when he is playing, when he's running routes, he actually leads the team in target rate. So he's getting targeted 26% of the time on his routes run, which means, hey, he's going to get looks in this game against the Raiders defense. And this is a defense that Mahomes has absolutely destroyed historically. And, and this is actually the game where Harbin had his coming out party last season. He had a, a nice touchdown catch. He went four for 61 and a touchdown. And the Raiders really haven't been tested deep that much this year. Again, they played the saints they played um another team that doesn't throw the ball deep uh, obviously josh allen was able to kind of shred them oh they played the patriots who are another team that don't really throw the ball deep so we saw josh allen be able to throw some deep on them and i think that you know mahomes is gonna be able to do that with mccall hardman in this matchup he's only 4.4k on DraftKings, so i like the price and the last two games against the raiders mahomes has averaged seven and a half deep pass attempts so i don't know if the raiders just aren't ready for this <laughs> 
Yeah, and you know, even if it does stay a little bit inconsistent with me, Cole, just realize the guy is one injury away from being an every week, you know, upside wide receiver three, if not more, inside of the league's most explosive passing game. Uh, moving on, we got the Philadelphia Eagles at the Pittsburgh Steelers. Steelers calling as seven and a half point favorites over under holding steady at about 45. So, you know, last week on last week's podcast in the game by game breakdown, I had Dwayne McFarland on here, and uh, he made the point that, uh, you know, if you're in a deep league and, you know, you have these bench spots, maybe it's not a dynasty, and Jalen Hurts is a available might be a good time to scoop them up not because the eagles are necessarily going to make the switch from Wentz to hurts anytime soon but because Wentz is going to get himself killed if he keeps playing like this right now i mean this dude is trying to put the team on his back i really appreciate it you know seeing him they're running a wildcat snap and once he's out there you know going back and forth with with a with a cornerback like trying to get all physical with him it's great to see you know i'm sure his teammates love it i think that's you know a, a type of thing that we can't really measure as much as you know us at pff we try to measure everything i mean that's part of like the josh allen experience you know you, you can just tell the team loves playing for a quarterback that's, you know, willing to get their head in there and, you know, get a little bit physical, play some real football, you know. Uh, but with Wentz, he's going to get himself killed. Two of his four career games with at least seven rush attempts have come over these past two weeks. He's always been a guy that, you know, wants to extend play, doesn't want to just fall down and take that sack, you know, wants to try to break a few tackles and make something happen because he's able to do it sometimes. And, you know, like your Deshaun Watsons, your Russell Wilsons, uh, you know, it's great when it works out, but also exposes you to a lot of, uh, you know, quote-unquote unnecessary hits. We've already seen, you know, him pressing league high 14 turnover worthy plays this season for Wentz. Nobody else has more than eight. Only Burrow and Watson have taken more sacks. So we got Wentz getting sacked more than ever. He's taken off more than ever. And again, it's not like the most uh, injury prone QB to begin with. It's not like he's the least injury prone uh, QB to begin with. So now he gets a Steelers defense that's pressuring QBs on 50% of their dropbacks this year. No other defense is over even 40%. Look, I mean, I, I hope Wentz is never hurt again for the rest of his life. But this just looks really scary right now. Uh, again, I mean, Hurts, if he gets out there, we're looking at someone that's going to, you know, have 10 to 15 rush attempts per week, potentially. That is a fantasy football cheat code, everyone. So if you got the roster room, you know, Jalen Hurts, probably the only, I'd say, backup quarterback in the league that we could, you know, confidently expect to truly be in that uh, QB1, high upside QB2 conversation if disaster strikes. Uh, Andrew, what do you got on the Steelers? Yeah, Carson Wentz would be number one in fantasy if you got fantasy points for for grit. Uh, <laughs> I love it. That's the word I was looking for. <laughs> so the the Steelers offense, I think, is going to probably play pretty well against the Eagles. I do think that the Eagles defense is interesting on DFS because they actually can pressure the quarterback pretty well too. And, and Big Ben, every once in a while, just does this bonehead things that you're kind of like, look, I'm like, why did you do that, man? So I think that they're a nice pay down option because they do pressure the quarterback a lot. But the best matchup, it's weird because the Eagles have always been a team that, oh, we got to target the perimeter receivers. This is this big game. But it's been the whole role reversal with that because of the entrance of Darius Slay and Nicole Roby Coleman, who's really been, you know, a punching bag for for slot receivers so far this year. So Juju Smith-Schuster really has the best matchup in the slot against Roby Coleman. You know, he's allowed the third highest pass rating from cornerbacks covering from the slot this year. So I think he's a really good spot. And that obviously means we're going to probably see more of Darius Slay on Deontay Johnson. But uh, you just can't, I'm not going to bench Deontay Johnson just because he's so involved in the offense. Again, it's a tough matchup, but this is when players like Deontay Johnson, who is just a really good football player, like this is when they come and, and play their best. So again, maybe temper expectations from him, you know, maybe not a DFS play, but someone that it's like, no, you got to still start because he's just so heavily involved in the offense. 
if you got Deontay and like your next ranked wide receiver and you're trying to figure out who to sit, okay, that's when we can, you know, consider the cornerback matchup. But yes, in general, you know, don't let one uh, perceived tough matchup really, uh, you know, change your entire uh, whereabouts in a week. I wouldn't note that, you know, Darius Slade did leave uh, pretty late in that uh, game with a leg injury. We'll see if he pops up on the Wednesday injury report, but something to monitor because without Slay, that would certainly obviously be a, a big boost for Deontay. A uh, quick shout out to our sponsor, Underdog Fantasy. If you like fantasy football, you need to be playing on Underdog Fantasy my personal favorite new fantasy football app. The website and app are super slick and by far the best experience out there. Do snake draft games for real money every week. Uh, team that built the app is top-notch. Customer support is the best in the biz. Constantly updating and adding new features. Look up Underdog Fantasy on your app store or go to underdogfantasy.com to play today. Make your first deposit today and be sure to use my code PFF after you do let them know I sent you. Uh, next game up, we got the Los Angeles Rams at the Washington football team. Uh, quick side note, I just like saying football team now. I mean, I'm, I'm done saying Washington and people, you know, tell me to say Washington. No, I'm, I'm all in on the stick. It's the football team. But uh, Rams are eight and a half point favorites. Over under is 46 and a half. So we have seen a different Jared Goff this year. The guy's playing some good football, but they are truly like, you know, just handcuffing him as much as possible, trying to win these games, you know, with McVay's scheme and with, uh, you know, the run game. So right now, uh, Goff is only averaging 30 0.5 pass attempts per game last year he was at 39 in 2018 he was at 35 i mean look some guys like kirk cousins at least have fancy friendly like pass attempts like cousins when he's going back there he's throwing the ball at least 20 yards downfield and about 25 percent of his pass attempts that's the highest mark in the league Goff is at 5.7 percent right now drew Brees is at 5.4 percent you know we've been making fun of Brees all season for not throwing downfield and honestly jared Goff is right there with him so Obviously, Goff has the arm strength. And, you know, like we've seen with Breeze over the years, it's not like Breeze hasn't been thrown downfield, uh, you know, that much more uh, than past years. I mean, he's never been a guy that consistently went downfield. The issue comes when defenses don't even respect uh, the, the downfield threat. So it'll be interesting to see if this, you know, changes as the year goes on, if, you know, teams start to recognize that Van Jefferson and Josh Reynolds don't really deserve the same amount of attention as Brandon Cooks, and they start playing this Rams offense differently. For right now, I mean, it's just it's just tough to get behind the upside in this passing game. Goff, QB 10 fantasy points for drop back again when he's throwing he's doing a good job particularly downfield it's just not very often he's the qb 18 overall in fantasy and i think because of that we got to start treating uh both cup and robert woods more as you know low-end wide receiver twos than you know flirting with that wide receiver one borderline as we saw last week i mean cup you know broken coverage was able to just run away from the safeties woods still getting his rush attempts both these guys are really talented they'll make the most of their opportunities the problem is their opportunities per game are looking more in the six to eight range than you know the eight to twelve range that we were seeing in past years so uh, not a ton of volume, uh, you know, fancy friendly volume in the passing game, but at least it is pretty condensed around those two guys. Andrew, what do you have on the way for it football team? The football team, just you know, we're all football fans, you know, that's there we why go. it works. For, there we I go. Just, it just rolls off the tongue. And one last thing on the Rams receivers, it was I was actually looking at end zone targets, and both Cooper Cup and Robert Woods have zero end zone targets on the year. So that kind of just goes to show in terms of you look at their opportunities, like these are not high ceiling players. So, and this is something I look at when I'm doing trades, you know, when you make a trade, the last thing you want to do is trade away a player that could be a potential league winner. You're just like, Oh my God, like, why did I just do that? But Robert Woods and Cooper cup where they are, you know, floor players, I guess I would say more, they're not league winning players. So if you can package them to get up to a, a really dominant wide receiver. I think those are good moves and it's not like they're bad players. So, you know, you're not going to get an automatic reject because you're just trying to ship off bad players. You know, they both have value, but I think that it's perceived maybe a little bit higher than actuality. Um, but with the Washington football team, I want to talk about Antonio Gibson, who finally kind of gets a decent matchup. You know, he's been kind of 
you know, relegated to these tough matchups the last couple of weeks, you know, with the Browns run defense and then he had the Ravens run defense last week, but we've seen him now, you know, he's really kind of identified himself as the clear go-to running back on the Washington offense. Um, and now he's playing the Rams who have allowed at least a double digit fantasy point outings to each of the running backs that they've faced this season. So I think that, you know, he's seen 59% of the team's carries last week. And most importantly, he saw three carries inside the five yard line. He's getting the goal line work. It's not going to Peyton Barber. So I don't know what they were doing in week one when they gave Peyton Barber like seven red zone touches. Like that's not happening anymore. It's all about Antonio Gibson. And we now also see, okay, JD McKissick, yes, he's still involved in the passing game. But when the Washington football team is down, they are, you know, checking the ball down to Gibson and McKissick. So he has multiple ways. He's super involved in the, in the game, regardless of game script. Again, you know, we almost rather have him catch passes if the Washington football team's losing. But if, you know, if they get up in a game, he's going to be part of that offense. So, and we, he obviously has big playability too. So I think he's locked and loaded in your lineups. Yeah, you're talking about league winners. Gibson really could be that league winner. Going in this year, I thought his best case scenario was, you know, as a scat kind of pony back with Barber or Bryce Love taking the early down work. Gibson has the early down work. Now we're just waiting for him to completely overtake McKissick as the pass down back, which should be happening uh, soon enough if he, if he keeps playing well. So I love everything you said there. Uh, moving on, Arizona Cardinals at the New York Jets. Uh, Cardinals open as eight and a half point favorites. That is down to six and a half. Uh, over-unders up from 46 to 47 and a half. Maybe we see, you know, the Cardinals get a few more points uh, with Sam Darnold unlikely to play. But I want to talk about Kyler Murray because kind of lost in the Kenyon Drake disappointment has been the reality that Murray's passing efficiency hasn't, you know, taken the jump. Uh, we were hoping for he's actually regressed in terms of yards per attempt 6.7 in 2019 just 6.1 in 2020 it's interesting though because you dig a little bit closer and murray is averaging i mean he has a higher pff passing grade a higher average target depth than last year and his adjusted completion rate is higher so he's actually throwing downfield more often that you know more accurate doing so the problem is just, I think, been this underwhelming wide receiver core other than DeAndre Hopkins. And look, they've all been banged up. Christian Kirk, you know, has been questionable all these weeks. Larry Fitzgerald is about 60 years old at this point. But, you know, Andy Isabella isn't getting the kind of opportunities that he should probably deserve based on how efficient he's been on a per-target basis. But either way, you know, the Cardinals right now, only 4.4 yards after the catch per reception. That's 22nd in the league. Last year, you know, almost a, over a four-yard yard more at 5.5, uh, tied for 13. So I just think other than Kyler and Hopkins, and Kyler running, of course, nothing has really been working in this offense yet. And, you know, the fun term to call them is the horizontal raid uh, recently because they just aren't really airing it out. And this is the issue. And this was kind of the reasoning behind maybe looking at the 2020 Cardinals looking like the 2019 Browns uh, uh, from, from that perspective. But now Kyler, no problems in fantasy land because this guy is running to his heart's desire. And oh my goodness, he is good doing so. 16-game 16, 16 rushing pace right now is 1,060 rushing yards and 16 touchdowns on the ground. I mean, I, I don't know who said it in my mentions, but you know, someone mentioned that Kyler runs like an angry toddler uh, when he's in the open field. Now I can't stop thinking about that. But whatever he runs like, the guy is, you know, faster than almost anyone else on the field. And despite these hiccups in the passing game, it's such a fantasy football Chico that we can continue uh, to rank Kyler as, you know, a high-end fantasy QB one, despite the issues through the air. Andrew, uh, what do you got on the Jets, if anything? Because goodness gracious, screw this offense. Yeah, well, I mean, the Jets could potentially get their best player, best player on offense back this week. Le'Veon Bell is supposed to make his return to the lineup here in week five. And I know you mentioned off the top that Sam Darnold's probably not going to play in this game. I mean, I can't imagine. I know he wants to play. And even though they they cut Kalen Balaj, you know, who helped the Jets basically, you know, their best highlight play of the year was because of Kalen Balaj. He missed that block. And then Sam Darnold turned to, you know, a 50 plus rushing touchdown. But the thing with 
you know, with Joe Flacco is if Joe Flacco's in the game, I think that's actually pretty good for a guy like Le'Veon Bell. And even Sam Darnold plays, you know, if he has a bum shoulder, I can't imagine they're going to chuck the ball down the field. They're probably going to do a lot of check downs with Le'Veon Bell. And we saw them throw the ball more to the running back. Kalen Balazs was actually the guy who was, he saw set 10 targets over the past three weeks without Bell in the offense. Kalen Balazs has obviously now been released from the team because, because Bell's coming back. But Joe Flacco, in his last year in Denver, he had a 26% target share to the running back position. So he was peppering guys like Royce Freeman and Philip Lindsay. They both averaged under four targets per game. And so if that's condensed into one player, I think that bell could actually be really involved in the passing game, which again, that's what you want in fantasy. You know, you need those points. And so who cares if Le'Veon bell, you know, Frank Gore out touches Le'Veon bell on the ground as carries, like whatever, like it doesn't matter if the Cardinals get up in this game and bells in there, you know, catching passes, I think that's good enough. And you just look at this receiving core. I mean, how can you not just flex Le'Veon Bell out in the slot? I mean, in his prime in Pittsburgh, we talked about it was Antonio Brown was the receiver one, and Le'Veon Bell was that wide receiver two, essentially. So I think that you can start Le'Veon Bell this week and in PPR, and you'll get at least a solid floor. Honestly, when you said that their best player was coming back, my mind jumped to Denzel Mims for some reason. It's a good call with Bell. I'm not trying to say Mims is better. I don't know why my mind went there. But, <laughs> yeah, I agree 100%. I mean, Bell last year, he didn't get the same targets. But when he did work outside in the slot, not wide, he still looked great. I mean, linebackers and safety just can't handle that dude as a route runner. Would love to see uh, Gase and company do that. But, obviously, tough to, you know, assume rational coaching out there with the Jets. Uh, moving on, we got the Jaguars at the Texans. Houston sitting at 6.5-point uh, favorites, you know, with Bill O'Brien out of the picture Vegas just loves him now why not over under is up from 52 and a half to 54 and a half so uh just want to look at you know okay what else do we need to see from James Robinson to treat this dude as an every week RB1 if, if you aren't already we need to do it I mean right now one of just 10 players with at least 70 touches this season and he's doing good with them I mean 12th among 45 qualified dudes and yards after contact per attempt he's caught 14 of 15 targets this year you know okay he's not the fastest guy he's not the most agile guy but the guy picks up yards he doesn't make mistakes clearly the Jaguars like what they have here and this matchup is just uh, borderline erotic honestly I mean only the Packers and Chiefs have allowed more yards before contact per rushed in the Texans this season you know we saw in the Dolphins game where uh, Robinson even with the Jaguars falling behind managed to have six catches in a blowout L uh, so it's a great floor you know if I've had some people you know uh, have or send trades to me in the mentions where it's like James Robinson for you know a legit you know top 10 talent in that case like go ahead because again Robinson if someone wants to treat him as a top 10 talent he's been I think you can trade him because okay he's at his ceiling right now it cannot get better for James Robinson than it's been uh, for these uh, first four weeks now how Having this guy in your team doesn't hurt, obviously, but, you know, just a little bit concerned about anyone on this Jaguars offense. We know this team is probably going to finish with five or fewer wins. Doesn't mean we still can't have, you know, a rare exception to the rule of, you know, fantasy uh, friendly players usually coming from the better offenses. But, you know, just realize that, hey, if someone wants to treat him as the top five, six back, he's been so far. Uh, don't be afraid to go out there and maybe get a little bit more uh, consistent studs. We can feel better about as, you know, we get into the November, December months of the season. Andrew, uh, what do you got in the bobless uh, Texans? Yeah, so we got Romeo Cornell stepping in as the interim head coach, and he's a de defensive-minded head coach. So, you know, if he has any influence on the offensive game plan at all, I would assume that he's going to probably do what defensive coaches do and where they're going to run the ball. And that makes sense to do against Jacksonville. You know, they've allowed the second-most rushing yards to running backs this season over the last two weeks. So, I mean, I would say that they're going to get a hefty amount of David Johnson, but at the same time, 
Bill O'Brien's the guy that, you know, stuck out, you know, made the trade to get David Johnson. So, you know, we saw Duke Johnson come back last week and kind of cut into David Johnson's usage a little bit more than maybe we all kind of gave him credit for. And we all kind of assumed, hey, David Johnson's going to be the guy again. But Duke Johnson actually, you know, cut in, you know, legitimately, especially into the receiving game. But I think you can still got to roll with David Johnson. The matchup is still too good. He's still the lead back. And if they do decide to run more, you know, after basically throwing at the third highest rate this season, just because they've been behind in essentially all their games, I think they're going to see more of the run game. I think you're going to see more efficient Sean Watson just because he's not going to be the, – the team, the defense isn't going to be able to tee up on him because it seems like he's always under pressure because they have to throw so much. So I think that that's going to help him. C.J. Henderson for the Jags is questionable. He left last week's game with a shoulder injury, so that would slide in. Seventh-round rookie Chris Claybrooks in as one of the starting defensive backs. So you're going to start Will Fuller. He's got you know a 26% target share in the game that he's been healthy this year. Never start Brandon Cooks. Uh, I think I think that's it. How come you're out on Brandon Cooks? He was still out there every snap. Well, the thing is, and this is something that I heard someone else talk about, it, it seems like Brandon Cooks is almost kind of like filling in the role as like a backup to Will Fuller, where he's not actually running, you know, opposite of Will Fuller necessarily. But, you know, the one game he was his best was when Will Fuller was basically like, you know, out of the game plan. That's true. So I, I think that you're seeing stills working. You're seeing Cobb has a role in the slot. So I, I yeah, just, you know, just cooks, man. I just can't get back into it. It's, it's definitely not a one, a one B situation. Like we thought it might be uh, going forward. You know, it's, I, I understand if you need to pick someone up, I, I wouldn't give up completely on Brandon cooks. Yeah. I don't think he's going to go catch list again uh, anytime soon, but yes, I do agree. It's definitely the Will Fuller show in Houston and you'd love to see it. Please, please stay healthy. Will. I'm knocking on wood right now. And I hope everyone else is at home. Uh, Miami dolphins at the San Francisco 49ers, 49ers, eight point favorites over unders at 47. So Fitzpatrick is going to start. This is what uh, coach Brian Flores said about Tua. Uh, you know, he's saying that, okay, he's checked all the medical boxes, but and here's where the quote starts. If it was my kid and he had a serious injury like that, I wouldn't want his coach to be in a rush to put him in there because of media pressure. No one's going to pressure me into doing anything. I mean, bro, it's like, you're saying he's healthy, but then you're saying you don't want to rush him back from the injury. So like, which one is it? Is the guy hundred percent ready to go or not? Because at this point, man, I think we got to go back to the Tua show because Fitzpatrick, he's not even giving him that kind of wide range of outcomes that we saw last season. I mean, he only has one more attempt thrown 20 plus yards downfield than Drew Brees this season. So, you know, I'm just really sticking up for Brees in this uh, episode of the podcast, talking about all these other uh, gunslinger frauds, but really Fitzpatrick has not been that same, you know, DGA, gunslinger that was a fantasy friendly uh you know really the second uh qb2 behind only lamar jackson last year after he retook that job uh, from josh rosen so you know Devontae parker gets his not expecting any shadow coverage in this matchup even if sherman finds a way to get back but otherwise it's just tough to expect uh, much from anyone in this offense the backfield uh you know okay gaskin i guess he's got a nice little target floor but you know with jordan howard and you know his dark visor coming in the vulture every time they get inside the five that hurts the wide receiver room. Preston Williams is pretty much losing his target share to Isaiah Ford. And so is Mike Jasicki. I mean, Mike Jasicki is now like their number two slot receiver almost and like their number three tight end. So it's unfortunate. I hope the usage changes and, you know, they kind of get Ford out of there because it's not like he's doing all that much with his targets uh, in the first place. So right now, pretty much a mess in Miami, you know, should have kind of, again, this is, you know, talk about the Jaguars. Like when we have these teams with these super low win totals, uh, we just got to realize that there is a pretty high, I'm pretty low floor excuse me involved you know unless we're talking about the true alpha options like Devonte parker uh andrew what are you on the 49ers 
So I think if you own Debo Samuel and you drafted him, you, you probably didn't start him this week. I think that you got the perfect amount of action that you wanted. He didn't go off. So it's not like he benched a guy who, you know, had an astounding game, but he did enough in the game. He was involved enough in the game plan. He had three targets for 35 yards. He had a one rushing attempt for 10 yards. He did enough to show, okay, hey, he's like getting back. Like, I think now we can kind of look at him more. Okay, it looks like he's back from the injury. He's going to be more involved. Kyle Shanahan, unlike all these other coaches, just told us straight up, hey, he's going to be limited in his role. And that's exactly what he was. So thank you, Kyle Shanahan, for just you know telling us what's up, man. Like, I wish that, you know, Bruce Arians could do the same thing. But, you know, that's just not, that's not how things work. But you know, you have this matchup against the Miami Dolphins. You know they haven't been very good on defense, despite the fact that you know people were hyping them up, hyping them up entering the year. I mean they've had problems with the corners staying healthy. Xavier Howard hasn't played particularly well, so you know they've allowed the seventh most fancy points to the wide receiver position this season. And again, I'm not so afraid of these. Even if Byron Jones comes back, the 49ers move their guys around to get them rushing touches. Like it doesn't matter who you're, which defensive back is covering you if you have a rushing attempt. If Debo Samuel's coming at you, it doesn't matter how good you are at covering because it's he's going to run you over. So I think that Kyle Shannon is going to find ways to get the ball into Debo Samuel's hand, into Brandon Ayuk's hand, because the Dolphins have actually allowed the third highest yard after catch per reception this season. So they are not good at get, wrapping guys up after the catch. They ranked four, fourth worst in total yards after the catch allowed this year. And over the past two weeks, they rank last in, in missed tackles on defense. So I think that you're going to see a lot of broken tackles and a lot of yak for Mr. Debo Samuel. Yeah, only thing I would add there is, uh, you know, Jarek McKinnon, he needs to be in any starting lineup if you have him. 91% snap rate, led the entire league at the running back position last week. You know, for him, Mostert comes back. I mean, now we have a, you know, two-back backfield with, with McKinnon and Mostert. That's fine. It was, you know, earlier in the year when we were like, okay, Coleman's also there and maybe Jeff Wilson gets involved. We can live with two-back committee people is when it gets three to four and bad offenses that we have problems. That is not the case in San Francisco right now. Uh, four o'clock games now, Giants at the Cowboys. Dallas opened as 11-point favorites. That is down to nine over under staying firm at 54. So Daniel Jones and this Giants offense. You know, Daniel Jones was someone that I was fairly high on. I mean, just, you know, kind of like QB 14-ish uh, throughout the offseason. Then I remember I had uh, Evan Silva on uh, to talk about quarterbacks in July and, you know, talking about Daniel Jones and how only Lamar Jackson had more 30-point uh, fantasy games uh, in 2019. And Evan just brought up the good point that it was like, well, Jason Garrett's calling plays now. You know, we got the clapper there. How is that going to impact uh, Daniel Jones in year two? Joe Judge, you know, just being the ultimate kind of old school football guy there. And the answer is, yeah, it has really hurt him. And okay, the matchups have been brutal, but, you know, the guy hasn't thrown a touchdown since week one. Giants offense has yet to surpass 16 points. It's not like they're lacking skill position talent. I mean, I know losing Saquon sucks, but I mean, you still have Evan Ingram, Darius Slayton, Golden Tate. There's still some talent out there. There's enough talent out there to score more than 16 points. I mean, at some point, you know, the matchup only means so much. And, you know, this is the final time I'm going to, you know, stick up for Drew Brees here, but Daniel Jones has a lower deep ball rate than Drew Brees this season. So truly we are looking at, you know, Daniel Jones, the guy's got a big arm. I mean, again, he impressed me last year with, you know, a guy that was kind of written off as a bust immediately uh, turned some heads. It was okay. And a lot of really good matchups. And that's what he has this week, but just haven't seen anything this year. And he is fourth and drop back fourth and drop back. So Hey, this is the week, Daniel Jones. This is the week, Jason Garrett. Go get your revenge against this Cowboys team, you know, quote-unquote revenge game for Jason. And there's so much mediocrity on the other side of the ball. You got to think they can move the ball to some extent. But, man, the only things that have looked good in this Giants offense over the past two weeks as someone that has unfortunately, you know, forced themselves to watch every one of their snaps is Daniel Jones when he decides to take off and run. He's sneaky athletic. And uh, when freaking Devontae Freeman is just inexplicably not guarded and he kind of gets these dump-offs and can fall forward for 10 yards. So. 
the running game, Wayne Gallman had one good run. That's all I can say about them. And the receivers right now, you know, aren't doing much either. So, you know, was I was one that missed pretty hard on, you know, stacking Jones in this offense in that 49ers game when the whole defense was banged up. I know the Cowboys defense is just the worst in the league and we shouldn't expect them to fix things. But I think the Giants offense might even be worse than the Cowboys defense is. For that reason, I'm probably going to be fading uh, the Giants, even though this is a trendy bounce back spot. Uh, Andrew, what do you got on the Cowboys? Yeah, I think, too, it was underrated the move of Pat Shermer. To, to leave and go to Denver because Pat Shermer, you know, you look at Denver, they, their deep ball attempts were way up when Drew Locke was playing, when Jeff Driscoll was playing. So I think that has a lot to do with it too, that, you know, the different play caller, different offensive coordinator, you know, was a better fit with Daniel Jones, who has a good arm, you know, down the field. And especially stuff like hurt guys like Gary Slayton, who, you know, maybe can, you know, bounce back in the spot against the Cowboys secondary. That, that's pretty, it's pretty bad uh, to, to being quite frank, but when it comes to the Dallas Cowboys, you know, it's cliche to say when you talk about you know too many mouths to feed, but I mean the amount of volume that this passing offense has, and the fact that Michael Gallup has just continued to disappoint week after week. He's had one good week um in the first four games, but I mean this is the, this is what you want. This is the most passing volume you could ask for of any wide receiver, and Gallup's really not doing much. He has 11% target share, and that's still averaging five targets per game, which isn't really even that bad for you know a deep threat, but it's just not there for him. And you could project in this game, you know, maybe the Cowboys don't throw as much because this is a game that they should probably win. You know, they should be able to run the football effectively in this game. And, you know, there's a chance that Gallup sees a lot of James Bradbury out on the outside. You know, Amari Cooper isn't really a guy that guys can really shadow because Amari Cooper moves into the slot and just kind of, and he's just been so consistent this year so far, but Bradbury has been really, really good. PFF second highest graded cornerback entering week five. And the giants actually haven't really been targeted downfield. They've just seen four passing plays of, of over 20 or more yards this season to outside wide receivers. We know Gallup's on the outside and yeah, I just think that this isn't a good spot for Michael Gallup. And I think that he should be on the bench. Yeah, I think the whole allure of, you know, Gallup going in this year was the fact that him and Cooper were more or less just 1A, 1B, depending on the week uh, last season. Gallup actually, I believe, ended up with more targets. Or it was, you know, within six. It was super close uh, last year. But right now, through uh, four weeks, Amari Cooper, 51 targets. Uh, Zeke at 30. CeeDee Lamb, 29. Schultz at 28. And Gallup in fifth place on his own team at 24. So, you know, you said it, man. We couldn't ask for more volume. I do think uh, we're going to see Gallup rise up a little bit, but uh, certainly not the, you know, sort of role and sort of start that we were hoping for or drafting him as more of a true uh, you know, wide receiver two back in August. Uh, moving on, we got the Broncos at the Patriots. Uh, not seeing a line right now. We got some uncertainty under center of both teams. Hopefully Drew Locke's back. Hopefully Cam Newton's back. We just don't know right now. But okay, I mean, even if Drew Locke's back, I think right now on this, you know, Broncos offense, it comes down to three guys. Melvin Gordon, Jerry Judy, Tim Patrick, you know, looking like that. No fans going to miss some time. Cortland Sutton's already out. KJ Hamler's got a hamstring injury. So I think Judy's going to win out. He's 12th in air yards right now. I mean, I know the touchdown last was a little bit fluky probably should have been picked off wasn't the moss that a lot of people were tweeting about but uh you know his route running ability isn't overrated at all i mean this dude again continues to kind of live up to that reputation that a lot of people including you know pff's own mike renner were you know saying before the draft were truly uh one of the best route runners we've seen come out in quite some time uh it's just 
this matchup, man, in New England, I mean, we saw, you know, them give Kansas City all sorts of problems, even removing, you know, with all those players they lost uh, to COVID that just chose to opt out in their front seven. Their secondary remains so good that, uh, you know, it's just a pretty much impossible spot for whoever's going to be under center in Denver going into here. Again, I think more more weeks than not moving forward, Judy will be good. Melvin Gordon, as long as Philip Lindsay remains out, is getting this 80% uh, bell cow role that you need to be uh, starting him with that uh, sort of uh, touch distribution well over Royce Freeman. And Tim Patrick, okay, he's made some good plays over the last two weeks. He's going to be out there on the field. There's not too many number one or number two wide receivers out there on the waiver wire, and that's what Tim Patrick is. So I get it, but particularly in this matchup, just stay away if you can. I would say uh, Melvin Gordon should be the only kind of Broncos player that winds up in over 50% of starting lineups this week. Uh, Andrew, what do you got on the Patriots? Hopefully uh, with Cam Newton. Yeah, I'm, I'm holding out hope that we don't have to see a Brett Rippon versus Jared Stidham matchup on, on Sunday, but we'll, we'll see. And I think when I actually looked at one of the lines, I had it, I saw that Patriots uh, minus 11, which I thought okay. was interesting. Okay. But so the popular name and kind of player that's going to be generating the most buzz in the fantasy world for the Patriots is going to be Damian Harris. You know, after he had a huge game on Monday night, he rushed for 100, exactly 100 rushing yards. So he hit that DraftKings bonus. So that was great. But the thing with Damian Harris is, you know, the other running backs were still really involved. And it, it was a really good matchup against the Chiefs. You know, Chris Jones didn't play. And like you mentioned before earlier, you know, the Chiefs don't have a good run defense. They let teams run on them. And that's how they, you know, operate on defense. They have much stronger secondary. So the thing is, you need to realize that Damian Harris is, took over the Sony Michelle role. Like, that's exactly what he did in this offense. He didn't do anything in the passing game. He got all the carries. And Rex Burkhead and Rex Burkhead, you know, mixed in in some carries. He had 11 carries. James White had a couple of carries here. and But both of them were more involved in the passing game, of course. So that's what I expect to see more of. You know, if the Patriots are in positive game script again, yeah, it'll be, you know, a decent day for Damian Harris. But again, his ceiling is going to be limited in terms of he's not going to be used in the passing game. And, and Rex Burkhead was actually used more in the red zone. He, you know, Damian Harris only saw one red zone snap you know, compared to James White and Burkhead. So that's something I'm just concerned about. So again, if you're looking at like DFS, you know, he's 4,300. I'm still not going to probably go to that because he has to either score multiple touchdowns or, you know, somehow rush for a hundred yards for you to really pay off on that. For me, at least, I just don't see the upside, but if you're playing in a regular seasonal league, you pick him up off the waiver wire. I think that he's a fine play. You know, Denver, you know, has allowed the third fewest fantasy points to running backs this season, but they don't have Jarrell Casey. They didn't have Jarrell Casey when they faced the Jets, but the Jets are kind of like a hard team. You have to kind of, you know, make adjustments when right, you right. look at fantasy points when you have the Jets as the team. So their defense isn't as good. Um, but I think that, you know, Damon Harris can at least be an RB3 flex play. Good stuff there. Moving on, we got the Indianapolis Colts at the Cleveland Browns. Colts coming in as two and a half point favorites over unders holding at 47. So Jonathan Taylor, you know, we don't like to snap counts but hey you know this is a guy that's going to be flirting with 15 to 25 touches on a weekly basis you know just because Wilkins and Hines are so involved doesn't mean we need to be giving up on Taylor maybe you know the connotation as this you know top five top six fancy RB was a little bit too soon but this is still a situation where I think we need to be running him up as an RB1 RB2 you know he's playing behind a great O-line I would note that they ranked 23rd in yards before contact per rush so maybe they're still just figuring it out man we've seen this with rookie running backs over the years you know Zeke Miles Sanders last year even Dave Montgomery uh, you know uh, to a lesser extent like it's not uncommon for them to struggle a little bit out of the gate 
pick it up, pick it up, you know, start letting the game slow down, you know, all these, you know, vision things, all these, you know, tape grinder type casts. I know we can't measure. So I don't want to get too wordy about it, but it would make sense if Taylor, you know, improves as the year goes on again, the role, he's the lead back there. He's going to get fed 15, 25 touches per game. That's all we can ask for. This is unfortunate. He's not flirting with 30. Yes. But you know, the Colts are rightfully going out there trying to have all their guys ready for January. They're not going to just give uh, Taylor 30 plus touches in games that they've, they're winning by, you know, multiple scores. And that's been the case over the past three weeks. I mean, they've never been in a situation where they're in the fourth quarter, uh, you know, only in, you know, a seven point game where it does make sense to give Taylor uh, more of those touches. So, you know, stay patient, keep firing up, keep starting up. We're going we're gonna to see bigger days ahead and, you know, be careful about, you know, yelling about the snap counts and going, Oh, John, uh, Jordan Wilkins, get this guy the hell out of here. You know, give us Jonathan Taylor. He's playing really good. I mean, just like, Gus Edwards is, you know, first in the league in yards after contact per carry. Wilkins is averaging a league high of 4.41 missed force tackles per rush attempt. So, uh, you know, we also had Justin Jackson in there as, you know, one of these incumbent backups that is a lot better than people give him credit for. You know, I know we all want to get behind these rookies. We spent, you know, we spent February through the end of April every year getting hyped about these guys, but don't count out the backs that have been the system and, you know, actually shown some upside before. Uh, Andrew, tell me about the Browns. Yeah, Justin Jackson, PFF's second highest graded rusher in 2019. Put a, stamp on, put a stamp on Justin Jackson's name. But the Cleveland Browns, so a lot of talk in this game will probably be about, you know, the Colts defense and how it's actually played really, really well this year. It's really underrated. They rank eighth in PFF run defense grade. But the thing that I don't think enough people are talking about is the Cleveland Browns offensive line is just mauling people. And, and basically they're playing how we've seen the Colts offensive line play in years past, where they're just destroying defensive lines. And we saw it last week against the Dallas Cowboys. Again, it's not a great defense, but they actually put the pain on. And that's what we're going to see probably more of. I think that even though the Colts defense looks like a tough matchup for running backs, it's, it's still not going to make a difference because the Browns have the better of the two units on the offensive line. They have the PFF's highest graded run blocking unit through four weeks. And that gives them an edge. And, you know, when we look at PFF's O-line versus D-line matchup chart. So, you know, you're going to look at Kareem Hunt on DFS. And if he's, you know, good to go in terms of health, like you have to play him, you know, in cash games or, or whatever you're doing, because he is going to have the advantage there. So even though it's, you know, there's a little, a little red three and you look at the ranking and it's like, Oh, maybe that's not a great matchup. Again, you know, sometimes people don't play the obvious picks, but it's, it's cream hunt. And I'm just here to tell you, it's like, don't worry about the matchup. It doesn't matter here. Cream Hunt's one of the best running backs that we've seen in the league. And now he's going to, you know, potentially get a full workload. Again, I think Darren Johnson, depending on, you know, where hunt is with this groin injury. I mean, we haven't heard anything about it since, you know, last week and he was able to play, um, but if he's good, I mean, I, hopefully they just rest on this whole week and just be like, yeah, we're just going to unleash you on Sunday. I would love to see that. But, and the thing is with the Colts defense as well, you know, they haven't, they haven't really faced that much legitimate, you know, running back threats, really. They, they played Dalvin Cook and he had a solid game, but besides that, they haven't really played much. So I think Kareem Hunt's locked in. I think that, I think Darren Johnson is worth a pickup, you know, in waiver on the waiver wire this week, just in case, you know, Chubb is out for a while and you just want to err on that side of caution just because Hunt had an injury last week. Yeah, I would just prioritize, you know, Justin Jackson and Damian Harris over uh, Darius Johnson for sure. Uh, you know, look, if Hunt's out there, he is getting, I think, the lion's share of the snaps and touches, period. Let's uh, let's pretend that this is more of a 1A, 1B backfield, and I'm giving it credit for, though. Hunt's getting the receiving work anyway. And honestly, yes, Dearness Johnson was working, uh, you know, as the number two back behind Hunt, but Dontrell Hilliard was right there within only a few snaps of Dearness Johnson. So even, let's say Hunt goes down, man, like, okay, Dearness 
Dearness Johnson, we're probably talking about like a borderline RB2 because he's not getting a free to roll. Dontrell Hilliard is going to be involved, and they would probably add another guy. So, you know, excuse me. Look, again, like like Cordero Patterson last week. I mean, I love Dearness Johnson. This guy was great in the AAF. I watched every single one of those AAF games, and, you know, Dearness was great. I remember his swaggy touchdowns with the Orlando Apollos and everything. But I also remember making fun of this dude on a weekly basis because he couldn't even run a 40-yard dash in under 4.8 seconds at the combine. You want to blow all your fab on a running back that can't run a 4.7 or better? Come on, people. We're better than that. So, uh, excuse me. But, yeah, quick shout-out to our sponsors over there at Monkey Knife Fight. Uh, you know, I'm about to get in a Monkey Knife Fight. That anyone wants to get the Ernest Johnson. But, uh, you know, so, look, go to Monkey Knife Fight, put 20 bucks in that account, and guess what? You can turn that 20 bucks into even more money playing daily fantasy and prop games at one of the fastest-growing fantasy sports sites in the USA in Monkey Knife Fight. But that's not all. You deposit that 20 bucks, you use code PFF, you will get a free PFF Edge annual subscription. That's a $40 value. $420. And like I said, you have a chance to turn that $20 into much more. So go to monkey knife fight. Do not blow your fab on uh, Dearness Johnson and thank me later. Moving on. We got the Minnesota Vikings at the Seattle Seahawks. Seahawks opened at n- minus nine down to seven point favorites over under holding steady at a sky high 57 and a half. And, you know, talked about this earlier with, uh, you know, Jared Goff, you know, kind of the, the, the meaning of like fancy friendly pass attempts. And that is what we have here with Kirk cousins, because somehow Four weeks, you know, the Vikings have either been scoring 30 points or they had a 17-point loss to the Colts. Games that you would think that they would really have to throw the ball a lot. Cousins has thrown 25, 26, 27, and most recently only 22 passes. The good news, league-high 25% deep ball rate. I mean, look, like Matthew Stafford was the guy that kind of came out of nowhere last year chucking the ball down the field. That is Kirk Cousins this year. And so Adam Thielen's number one still. You know, two weeks ago, we were wondering, okay, could Jefferson take over? Uh, whatever. It doesn't matter who's number one. I, it's Thielen, but Jefferson is clearly number two. So we have a condensed two-option offense, more or less like we're looking at, you know, the 20 kind of – the 2012 to like the 2019 Seattle Seahawks where we don't have a ton of passing game uh, volume, but the volume we do get, you know, fantasy-friendly red zone looks and downfield deep balls. So we know Thielen's great. You know, no question about that. But Justin Jefferson, man, he's not going to have 100 yards every week. Probably not. But he truly looks great. I mean, only four people in the league – are averaging over three point uh, over three yards per route run right now. Devontae Adams is at three. George Kittle is at 3.03. Alvin Kamara is at 3.45. And Justin freaking Jefferson is in first place at 3.7. For those not familiar with the metric, usually Julio Jones is the only one finishing seasons with over three yards per route run. Anything over two is usually a sign that we're talking about a damn good receiver. So really like what we're seeing from Justin Jefferson. And this is the right matchup where, you know, same thing with the Cowboys. When you're playing the Seahawks, they're going to put up points on you and they don't have the secondary to stop you from putting up points. So could even see, you know, Kirk Cousins, dare I say, get up to like 30 passes in this game. And if he does, majority going to be going to Thielen, majority going to be going to Justin Jefferson. Seahawks have allowed a league high 1,634 passing yards through four weeks. Over 400 passing yards per game against the Seattle defense. Uh, Browns are in second all the way down at 1326. Uh, I really like the chances for this uh, uh, Vikings passing game to continue to pop off and potentially make this game close. Uh, Andrew, what you got in Russ and company? So for the rest of the season, would you take Justin Jefferson or Marquise Brown? Oh, that's a good one. I would still go Marquise Brown, but it's a conversation. I think they're both uh, top 24 guys. All right. I like it. 
All right, the Seattle Seahawks are probably going to put the heat on Kirk Cousins in prime time. So again, you're going to be starting the usual suspects. There's not, you know, some hard-hitting analysis I can tell you. I can't tell you which one of Metcalf or Lockett's going to go off. It's really hard. to. I tried looking at the slot targets. It doesn't matter. Like, they're both just stud guys. They're both top 12 guys going into this week. So you're going to start all your, your classic Seahawks. But the one player that's kind of going under the radar is Greg Olson. Um, so he's now, you know, been more involved in the past two weeks. He's at least five receptions, at least six targets the last two weeks. And again, you know, tight end, you're just trying to look for a guy to fall into the end zone. And, you know, who throws a lot of touchdowns is, is Russell Wilson. So it's not a bad option to have Russell Wilson as your quarterback. Again, Greg Olson, you know, he's old, he's dusty. You know, we don't like guys like that, but he plays in arguably one of the best offenses in the league. And, and the Vikings haven't really been good at, you know, defending the tight end position this year. They actually rank 31st in yards per attempt towards tight end targets. And then they've actually allowed an average of 67 receiving yards to the position so far. So if you are scrambling, you know, Greg Olson's not generating a lot of buzz. You know, some of these other tight ends that are off the waiver wire. If you just need someone to plug and play, you know, you could do way worse than just adding Greg Olson this week. Man, if either Russ or Deshaun Watson could just get like one really talented number one tight end to play all that snaps, that dude's catching 10 touchdowns a year. And I'm looking at you, Dave, and the joke, you go get out there. You mean um, uh, Chris, Chris Herndon. Dude, come on. Oh my God. Dude, get him out of New York. And then he lets, okay, he lets one pass hit him in the chest. It, it was a bad drop. And now everyone's like, oh, you stand for this guy all offseason. So sorry to everyone that wasted the 15th round pick on a Chris Herndon. You can blame me when the league doesn't work out the way you wanted it. Uh, last one here. Thank you everyone for sticking around, listening to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Monday Night Football, Los Angeles Chargers at the New Orleans Saints. Saints are sitting at seven and a half point favorites, over unders at 52. Keenan Allen, wide receiver, one season. His 16-game pace right now, 196 targets, 128 receptions, 1,308 yards. Julio Jones-esque, four touchdowns. Hopefully we see that increase. But particularly with, uh, you know, Herbert under center, man, 10 targets, 19 targets, 12 targets last week. All the volume, and we saw last week, I mean, that catchy man on the sideline, you know, Keenan playing better football than ever right now. Same secondary last week, both Marshawn Lattimore and Janoris Jenkins were out. That's going to be a big-time problem, man, against Keenan. Uh, maybe we see a floor, floor game from uh, Herbert eventually. I mean, look, the guy's playing fantastic, and it's just one of these situations where, like, he's a rookie QB, and I just don't think he can keep playing this good every week, as good as he has. But, you know, there's no real reason to expect a steep uh, regression particularly in a matchup against again a talented Saints defense but banged up right now and certainly not playing their best football uh, regardless so you know I think adding Mike Williams to picture could actually be one of the situations that helps I mean Keenan is cemented as their number one guy anyway you know if you have Mike Williams out there I think he's going to pull a little more attention away than your Jalen Guyton's Tyron Johnson's of the world no offense to those guys they had awesome long touchdowns last week but truly you know Mike Williams great talent and I think uh, seeing him out there is going to further help this offense so man get healthy Austin Eckler because, you know, this Chargers offense was looking like a situation to probably we'd have to avoid because of quarterback play. But with that no longer being an issue, man, actually seeing some exciting games from the Chargers, you love to see it. So, Andrew, what do you got on the Saints? So Latavius Murray does this thing every year where he just has, you know, a, a pretty good game. He scores a couple touchdowns. Then we label him. All right. You know, Latavius Murray you can slide him in, you know, RB3 flex play this week. But again, guys, he's the backup. Like, he had a good matchup last week against the Detroit Lions, who don't have a good run defense. The Saints didn't have Michael Thomas. The Saints didn't have Jared Cook. So, of course, they were going to try to run the ball, and that's exactly what they did. But the thing is, you know, Kamara ran pretty bad on his four carries inside the 10-yard line. You know, he could have easily scored three touchdowns. He would have made 
everyone that played him in DFS that much happier, including myself. But Latavius Murray, you know, he had two carries instead of the 10, and he converted both of his into touchdowns. So, again, you know, got to tip your hat to him. He got the job done. But on the season, you know, Kamara is still dominating those touches. And I just don't think banking on Murray doing it again, especially with the fact that, yeah, he's seen carries, but that's it. Like, he's not used in the passing game. And the matchup is much harder against the Los Angeles Chargers. They haven't allowed any rushing touchdowns this year. They're the only team that has yet to allow a rushing touchdown to a running back. So, again, you're going to fire up Kamara, but I just don't think that the opportunities are going to be there with Latavius Murray. Again, this doesn't mean that Latavius Murray is someone that you drop or anything like that because he has value in case anything happens to Kamara. But I wouldn't be super confident with just sliding him in and be like, oh, yeah, no, he'll just come do what he did last week. Yeah, it's kind of like Chase Edmonds at this point where, again, if the starter goes down, you know, we're talking sky-high potential weekly RB1 fantasy. Otherwise, you're going to need to pick the right matchup. Probably nothing more than, you know, again, that low-floor flex play. So that's going to do it, everyone. Thank you for listening to Pro Football Focus Fantasy Football Podcast. Make sure you follow Andrew on Twitter at Andrew Erickson underscore. And, Andrew, what else you got on the uh, docket for the week? Yeah, I got some more previews coming out. Got some stardom sit Got some trade stuff. You know, you got to – Got to trade Todd Gurley. It's just got to happen this week. <laughs> and I think that, you know, being aggressive with trades is really a way to get advantage in your league, especially if you're sitting at, you know, one in three, oh, and four, and stop doing, you know, one for one trades. Like those are just miserable. You know, put some more guys in and put some more thought in. And, you know, if you're the smarter person, the smarter, you know, player in your league, you just throw five guys versus four. I mean, you get the better head of the deal if the other person can't figure out the value. So, you know, don't do one for one trades. And yeah, that's what I'll sign off with. Good stuff, man. Appreciate you coming on as always and good stuff from me as always. So thank you all again for listening to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm Ian Harditz. He's Andrew Erickson. Until next time, take care, everyone.